0: You're listening to Priority Traffic, traffic. with Deputy Hookham. Deputy Hooko. Bird traffic. Bird traffic. Giving a voice back to the thin blue line. the thin blue, blue line. Bird traffic. Bird traffic.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode four of Priority Traffic with me, your host, Deputy Hookum. I am joined tonight by a very good friend of mine, uh, somebody who you guys who might have paid attention to me a little bit over the years have probably heard from once or twice, I would imagine. And it gives me great pleasure to not only have him here with me, but to have him on the podcast. And that is my man, Vinny Montez. Vinny, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. What's going on,
0: brother? I'm glad you got me here, man. I'm, I'm excited. So thankful.
1: So thankful. Um, for those of you guys who don't know Vinny, uh, Vinny is a, a stand up comedian who is also currently an active law enforcement officer. Um, he is part of Humanizing the Badge. Tons of great things. Let me let me give you a quick rundown of Vinny Montez. I'm going to give an intro for you. Oh, okay?
0: man. I'm embarrassed
1: now. <laughs> Vinny's uh, got a 20 plus year career in law enforcement in Boulder County, Colorado. Uh, he began comedy in 2007. Um, As a means of dealing with trauma and stress, we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, He's performed at numerous comedy clubs uh, all across the country and events all across everywhere you could imagine. In 2019, you filmed your first uh, comedy special with Dry Bar Comedy. Right. It was called Vinnie Montez, Armed and Hilarious. I think I might have given you that name idea.
0: I don't know about that. I don't know about I th- that. I think
1: Justin. No, I think I need the royalties from that one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'll expect that check. Uh, and it's in the mail. <laughs> in 2018, Vinny uh, became an official member of Humanizing the Badge uh, with all of the um, posse of people that we
0: <laughs> Yeah, man. It's a good crew. With. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so that is Vinny. Um, but I might have skipped some things. So
0: Vinny, tell me about yourself. Well, uh I'm uh from uh Boulder, Colorado area. Grew up there. I'm a Colorado native. And uh I come from a traditional Mexican family, man. The mom is the boss in the family to this day, 75 years old. Just actually just turned 76. Okay. And she's fire. Um and you know, I've done everything you could possibly do from our agency in law enforcement. work. started working in the jail. Came out to patrol, worked some specialty assignments, including DUI. Then went to detectives, narcs, sergeant. Now I'm a commander, and uh, maybe I went a little bit too far at this point. <laughs> kind of, reg- you regret the promotion? <laughs> no, no, it's it's good. But uh, you know, I do miss working the streets on a day to day basis. You know, sure. it's just a different job when you get to the admin level.
1: We're going to talk about that a little bit, Vinny. Um, so this episode, my plan is is I want to talk first. I want to talk about comedy and why it is that you do comedy. Uh, especially as it pertains to a coping mechanism, right? Yeah. Um, and then I want to get into later on a little bit about um, police leadership.
0: Okay, okay? absolutely. And so,
1: some stuff like that. So first off, why why comedy? What in 2007 caused you to say, I want to go stand on stage and try to make people laugh?
0: Well, you know, I got to go way back a long way. So one of the things that inspired me to be a cop goes back a long way to my childhood And it's tied to California where you're at. Uh, I used to watch Ponch and John on TV, and I love chips. And (laughs) my mom would lose her mind because I'd go running around the house every time that theme song came on. You know, I was like dun 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 dun, and I was like I lose my mind. And for some reason, in my mind, I was going to become a CHP trooper uh, or C. They call them troopers or Uh, uh, Highway Patrol. Highway Patrol. I'm sorry. I apologize to all the chippies out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I ended up uh, joining Explore Post early on, and I. Uh, did everything I could to, you know, set myself up to be successful to enter the field of law enforcement. And one of the things that you know wasn't really told to me at the beginning, and I tell this to our young cadets now, our explorers, is uh, you're going to see a lot of stuff when you start that young age. And I, you know, I think probably I was like 16 years old the first time I really ever said, saw a DB uh, on a on a call. And you know, you start uh, getting some of that collateral trauma, is what I call it, where you're not really, it's not an acute situation. It's just you're exposed over a lot of time. And then in the '90s, when I uh, right before I became a cop in '98, you know, I'd been on tons of calls with deputies. And then I became a deputy, went to the jail, came out to patrol, and uh, I was known as a shit magnet, straight up <laughs> on the street. If anything was going to happen, it was going to happen when I was working. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, in the early 2000s, I remember the sheriff pulling me aside and was like, "Hey, man, you're working all the time. You're here all the time. You're you need to quit burning the candle at both ends." and of course when you're early 20s as a cop you know everything you don't right. have to be told by anybody and right. which is completely wrong uh, and he's like hey look man here's this book by Dr. Kevin Gilmartin called mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. survival for law enforcement and yeah. although i had the tool in my hand i completely dismissed it and i you know i knew better cuz i was fine the problem is, is you don't realize everything that you're taking in. And if you're working all the time and you don't have two separate distinctions between who you are as a cop on the street and who you are in your real life, you really run a potential for running yourself right into a wall. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to me. And it wasn't, uh, I started dabbing in comedy, uh, not marijuana. Let's just clarify that right now. Dabbling. I start, dab- I start dabbling. Dab. Not- dab. <laughs> dab. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they call when they're hitting you know the, yeah the Vinny, Vinny's fresh from Colorado yeah guy, so he's
1: still got a little in his system
0: yeah yeah so uh, the weird thing was is uh, I, I just didn't see it coming and I grew up watching uh, Def Comedy Jam uh, D.L. Hughley, and all those guys Bernie Mac was my favorite uh, coming up and I just didn't realize that um, comedy was going to later be an outlet and I think in 2007 I was just kind of checking out the open mic scene in February of I believe it was February of 2008. I was off duty. I was going to, to play some poker uh, in Colorado and it came upon an accident and this kid was not doing well uh, in the car. The accident wasn't very bad at all, but they, this lady ran out to the street. She summoned me. Uh, I was off duty. I was a narc at the time and I was armed and, you know, I had my credentials and stuff and I ran over to help. And of course I say, Hey, I'm an off duty police officer. Uh, during the midst of this, I can see this kid's got agno breathing. He's in the driver's seat and you know, we sent people up and down. We we're in this to just give the listeners an idea. We're in a Canyon in Boulder County where it's pretty much, they call it the narrow. So it's straight up walls of rock on the sides. Uh, it's one of those February nights where it was crystal clear, very, very cold outside. It had snowed, uh, snowed previously, but there was no accumulation on the, on the actual streets. Uh, it was just on the sides of the road and, uh, you know, you could see your breath. It was one of those crystal clear night. You could see the stars. And uh, I'm dealing with this and we've got, you know, people going for help. And eventually this kid takes his last breath. And I jump into the front passenger seat and I'm trying to pull him clear of the car to pull him out so we can spread him out and start working on him. And for whatever reason, I yell over to the, the one of the girls that was on scene. It was a, a guy and a couple girls. And I say, can you go pull his legs out of underneath the steering wheel? Who's just tall, lanky kid and was having trouble clearing him. And uh, as she goes over there, she starts to do everything except for what I ask her to do. So she starts looking underneath the seat, checking his legs. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, you don't understand. I got to find the gun. And um, my heart sank because I was like, I already, I was, I felt very vulnerable. I told everybody I was a cop off duty and you know, my gun wasn't visible or anything, but you have a choice to make right there. What, what is the situation with the gun all of a sudden? Right. And so I yelled out very clearly, I said, I don't give a shit about this gun. If you don't help me, he is not going to live. And the other guy who'd helped me in the back seat, he pushed her out of the way, cleared his legs, and I pulled him out. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a rural area. Like, you know, there's not paramedics immediately there or anything like that. And we get him out, and I start clearing him open and start working on him. And one of the deputies who's now a sergeant where I work, he showed up, and we pulled out the AED. We start hitting him with that. And uh, I asked my partner uh, Clay, you know, I was like, "Do you have a pocket mask?" And of course, for some reason, even though I was there first, you know, I ended up on respirations, <laughs> and he gave me that little pocket mask that you carry yeah. on a keychain. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm working on this kid, and blood starts to pour out of his mouth. And we turn him on his side a couple of times and clear the airway, but you know, it's just really unusual to see that amount. And you know, eventually paramedics got there and took over. By this time, I'm covered in blood, and uh, one of the guys I grew up with is an explorer also. He was a sergeant at the time. He pulled me off. The guy took me over to his vehicle and stuck me in the front seat just to warm up and kind of regain my composure. And there was a hot Starbucks sitting in the center console, so I just helped myself to it. Weird. <laughs> I know. Strange. <laughs> Strange. <laughs> and uh, I, that was the moment where really everything changed for me. Um, I got this warm wave that came over my body this warm sensation, and I just start breaking down and crying inside of the car. And I had never lost my composure that way on a scene. I had never felt such emotion burst out of me. And uh, after I com- you know, gathered myself for a few minutes, I got back out of the car. I walked over to where they were still working on this kid. And one of the young girls who was you know, originally there, she came over and she kind of put her arms around me and she was crying and she's like, is he going to be okay? And you know, you've been on these scenes, Eric, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you don't want to tell them where this is going, but it was clear to me that this kid was going to go. And I simply told her, look, the best people that could be working on him are working on him right now. Right. And, uh, but we, I knew the truth. And for whatever reason that just really took me to my knees mentally. And it was at that point in time, I, I realized I need to be doing something better to deal with my mental health. And, I just worked too much. I put myself, you know, not leaving myself an outlet to really deal with these things. I was copping all the time. Mm-hmm. And I share this story with you and, you know, with other people watching, not because, you know, I want people to feel bad for me, but because of the mental health aspect of what's really the underlying reason for me going into comedy. Right, And uh, now, you know, I started working at the comedy and really... The stand-up was for me as an outlet. I never had an idea that was going to lead to where it's at today. It was simply a mechanism for me to talk about the things that I would see, twist them a little bit, and use as a coping mechanism so that I could protect my mental health. And it has done that for me. And I can tell you right now, I realize how important it is to my own mental health and my stability overall because that was exacerbated with COVID. Like mm-hmm. when we shut down, I was co- supposed to come out and do this yep. show for you guys yep. uh, in March of 2020. 20- 20 and I was booked even probably five or six months before that. Mm-hmm. And here we are finally 2021 yeah. August. Right. Yeah. And I'm finally doing this show. So, uh, going back to it, it's just, I, honestly, it's been something that's probably I could say saved my life. And it allowed me to get to where I'm at today. And luckily now I'm celebrating, you know, 23 years. Uh, and you know, the end of this year will be 24 and I'm just very blessed um to have found that outlet. And so my message to people, and I guess this is where it comes down to, is wherever I travel around the country, uh including a show that I did impromptu in LAPD for LAPD Van Nuys division <laughs> this last week. That's a story. Um yeah, it is a story. And it just allows me to tell the men and women that are serving out there to not be ashamed of your mental health. Uh, if you're struggling, there's nothing to be embarrassed about because if you don't deal with it, it's not going to get better. And if you're struggling and you feel like you're down and out, we lose three times, you know, this, we lose three times the amount of cops to their own hand every year Mm -hmm. than we do in the line of duty. And I don't want to see that happen if I can do anything to prevent it. So if I can reach my message to just one person, I feel like that that's a success. And, you know, humanize the badge that we're a part of has call for backup, um, that's an ancillary option for people. And I just, I feel like being able to share this message, I'm very humbled and privileged to be able to have that ability to talk about this.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, I, I think that's great. Obviously, what you're, why you're here is phenomenal. Um, but I think what you need to realize as the person who's behind your comedy, that not only has your comedy done what you wanted it to do for you but as someone who has sat at your shows known you personally watched you perform and the joy that you give people and cops specifically, your comedy has risen well above you. And I I don't think as a music artist and you as a comedian, that's not something we could ever anticipate.
0: Right? No, no, no. And I, I, like I said, I never anticipated this going this route. It was just very, um, I was very fortunate to end up hooking up with OD officer Daniels Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, led me to friendships with you and the rest of the people part of htb and now there's this medium that's in place uh, which is a comedy platform and for us you know i just released a video that i never thought i was going to release yeah uh, talking about the dark humor mm-hmm. of comedy for us as cops behind the scenes and i was really nervous because this talks about a guy that discharges a firearm and basically blows his head off right. and the comedy the dark humor that goes on behind the scenes yes and I was like, man, I'm going to catch so much heat for this because like nobody ever sees that part of us. We don't do it in the public eye, but we do it to cope. We try not to. We try not to. <laughs> and um, it really blew up because right. it not only... No pun t- intended. Right, right. No pun intended, <laughs> but it really touched a chord with not only law enforcement, but doctors, firefighters, right. morticians, all these people who do stuff in the background that a lot of people don't actually see because nobody calls the cops to come talk about unless there's a dead body, but nobody says, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this very morose, right. Dark moment, you know,
1: but if we don't get it out, it stays inside.
0: It it stays inside. And that's what ends up happening is those things never come out. And the officers and anybody that's part of any EMS field corrections, nurses, doctors, firefighters, whatever it is, it stays bottled up. And we've learned, we know scientifically now Mm -hmm. that that is not the way to deal with that stuff. Right.
1: And I think what's interesting is you tell this story of yours, that happened in probably 06, 07, right
0: yeah early two thousands probably right. even a little earlier and than that.
1: that was a completely different time right it was not okay to cry at a scene it was not okay to ask for help and say I'm not mentally right
0: yeah there was a lot of taboo which yes. you know there still is in, you know depends on where you work sure um, but the thing I, I think where that comes from is cops we were talking about this earlier. In the agency I work, we had the King Super shooting, okay. uh, a rapid emergency deployment situation where a guy came into uh, the King Supers there and ended up taking a lot of lives. Uh, Eric Talley, Boulder PD officer, ended up coming in and lost his life, but was able to save uh, un- account- un- uh, an unknown amount of, of people. Sorry, an unknown amount of people because right. he stepped up, and so the other first responders that responded to that, and nobody else died after he arrived. Uh, but that goes back to, um, where, what, I guess what I'm trying to say is now we debrief that our officers that responded to that call, they were definitely impacted by it. Sure. But even the ones, and we talked about this earlier at dinner, even the ones that were not on scene, uh, they felt bad, uh, because they couldn't be there. Right. And I think that's Uh, intrinsic upon all cops because we all want to be there to back up our partners. And even though you're not on some scene like that that is very traumatic, it doesn't mean that you don't have feelings or emotional impact because of it, because those are your teammates and you want to be helping them out. So now we live in a situation and the reason we debrief that so um, quickly after that amongst the different shifts was because we want to give people an opportunity to at least be part of that debrief so they can know exactly what happened and that, you know, that's why we do those things. So it's it's just a very important, especially in leadership. We'll probably get into this in a little bit. Um, the one thing I try to do, and I, I openly put myself out there in my agency talking about my own issues and my instability back then about dealing with those things because I don't want there to be that remaining taboo. I don't want people to feel ashamed to say, look, I am struggling right now because what ends up happening, in my humble opinion, is people end up using alternative means to right. deal with that, and that includes... Uh, Overeating, which I got to tell you, sometimes, not sometimes, I deal with that on a regular basis. But even more uh, detrimental with you know the use of substances or alcohol, or you know losing a relationship, a a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or even a marriage over not dealing with the underlying trauma and stress. Right.
1: Yeah. Um. I I mean that that stuff can't be talked about, you know, uh, in enough detail for people, especially in today's world. And you hit on that—that that we lose more cops by their own hand than we do by people on line of duty—and that it's it blows my mind. Um, but I have been in those situations. I have been in, in what you're talking about, where you wanted to be there for your partners, and it affects you, and it takes a few days to wear off, and that's fine. But the problem is, is when over time that builds up, and we don't have a way to have that outlet. Uh, mine, obviously, is you know, I obviously I have a very supportive wife at home. I do my music, and you know, I do the social media
0: stuff, and and try to be funny, not
1: as funny as you. Uh, but it all helps. It's something. It's part of it.
0: It does, and it doesn't need to be something that's in such a um, defined medium. 100 Like sure, music or uh, yeah. comedy. You know, a lot of people running. Yeah, it could be running. Sim- yeah, it it could could be be running. I mean, a lot of the guys that I know um, love to hunt, fish. The big, the big point I would like to make is simply this. Whatever it is you enjoy that's your passion outside of this job, mm-hmm. because no matter how noble of a profession it certainly is, it is still a job. Yep. And you have to be able to disassociate yourself to it from it once you're outside of the job. And if your thing is going out and fishing, hanging out with your kids, uh, spending time with your significant other, going to movies, or whatever that situation is that allows you to release and separate completely from this job... That is what you need to be doing. But you have to go after it passionately, because if you don't, you will always find excuses to put in the way. And, you know, Dr. Gilmore describes it very well when he talks about used to do this or I used to do that. And we as cops all know this. And this happened tonight. You know, I don't want to make it. I'm on vacation and I find myself going back to this. But where do you want to go to dinner? And I can't make that decision to save my ass because we don't want to make decisions when we're not on duty. And. We, like, you know, Craig, I didn't really want to go down to the beach this morning. My buddy's here with me in San Diego. And uh, I was like, ah, you know, we'll just kind of chill. And he's like, come on, man, get your ass. You're not going to be in San Diego again. Let's go out to the beach. And then once I was there, we were already into it. It was right. a good time. Right. Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, and it's it's interesting you bring up Dr. Gil Martin. Um If you guys have not or don't know about Dr. Kevin Gilmartin, look him up. He writes a book called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. Uh, it's a phenomenal book that really, really does a great job. It's simply explaining Why we are the way we are, uh, both uh, mentally, physically, after work, before work, the highs, the lows, uh, the in-betweens. Not only so much for you to understand yourself, but for your family to understand you as well. Um, I have had the pleasure of watching Dr. Gilmartin speak, and he's a phenomenal, phenomenal person.
0: Yeah, and the book, just a couple things about it, because everybody thinks book, they think novel. This is a very short read, yes, first is. of all, and yeah. it's not designed only for the officers like you were alluding to, mm-hmm. to read, If you whether you're a deputy corrections officer, whatever it is, uh, but it's very important for your significant other to also read this book, because I, I think it's akin t- uh, to that book a while back that came out, uh, Women Are From Venus and Men Are From Mars right. and Women From Venus, right, right? and yeah. about speaking Venusian and Martian, right? <laughs> it's, it's important that your significant other who you're involved with reads that book so that they understand the dynamic of what could be occurring right. in the home uh, the, pl- the home place. Because uh, if you don't understand what potentially could happen, they're, they're oftentimes left out of it and they don't understand what they can be doing to help encourage getting people back to center. Because I think one of the big points that he underscores during this book is talking about how if you have a baseline, let's just say it's zero, cops, uh, you have this like line that extended out into infinity when cops are on duty they're already at a heightened awareness and they're above the normal line because you have to be you have to be situationally aware 360 degrees once you go out of the safety of an agency or or a station you're out in the field you got to be aware you have to be aware of the people coming up behind you going around you you know and then you're in that state for the entire shift all of a sudden you get a call, you know, whatever it is, a physical disturbance, you're rolling to that call, maybe you run an emergency, you shoot up another 10, 15 points. I'm just using examples by the right. way. So now you're instead of being at a 10 where you were already at the height and awareness, you're now at a 15, 20, 30, 40 depending on the call. And then let's say that call, you know, dissolves really quickly. You get there, everything's code 4, everybody goes back down, you drop down to a 10. The thing about it happens is once people go off duty and what, this is what it's so important about that physical exercise part is when people get back off duty, they drop below that line. They go below zero and they go the opposite because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. He talks about, this is none of my work. This is simply his, but I just like to share it because it's so powerful. It's so important once you're in that Low to be doing something to get yourself back up to that zero line so that you're centered. And it's uh, oftentimes it's going to be done by a 15 or 20 minute walk or doing something that makes you happy, uh, release some of those endorphins. And uh, it's amazing because, you know, I really didn't believe how important that could be. But I tell you, after you get home, it's Mm -hmm. hard to. You just want to chill, right? Everybody yep. says that. I know I do. Yep. So you just got to get your ass out of that chair and go do something.
1: That's what you got to do. Um, definitely great advice. If you guys have not seen that book or watched Dr. Martin speak, I highly encourage you to look into that. Um, but why, why stand-up comedy? Is this something that you've done before, like that you had dabbled in or you had dreams about? How did you just one day decide on the side of the road after this incident, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian?
0: Well, like I said, in 2007, I kind of dabbled and looked into comedy because I just always thought it was a amazing thing. And I guess the reason I um, thought it was so amazing was because people it's one person up there with a microphone and they're taking situations like Bernie Mac talks about, you know, taking over, you know, parenting uh, his sister's kids. Mm-hmm. And that routine just blew me up inside and it made me feel really happy and I love being a performer. I mean, I watched my dad uh, as a young kid. He would always have such great relationships with people, making them laugh. And it gave me an opportunity to just take the things that were in my head and share them with people. Uh, and it takes a lot of work, but like, there is nothing better. I, I'll tell you right now this day, there is nothing better to me than when you're out there on stage and you have people right where you want them and you are crushing and they are laughing. And people come up to you after and say, man, I really needed that. And I guess... Um, I like being center stage. Let's just be honest. I like yeah. being center stage. I like being on all the time. I like joking around. Have you been I, that way since you were a kid? Yeah. I've always been very um, outgoing and just uh, one of those people. I guess I get it from my dad simply, you know? Yeah. That's great.
1: Uh, how do you think in, in the comedy world, obviously you've performed with a lot of different people Yeah. who are not cops. Um, how has being a cop set you apart both on stage and off stage? In that realm, between the performers you perform with, as well as the audiences you you uh, perform in front of.
0: Well, like I will tell you, there's people, especially when I first came into comedy. You know, uh, comedians aren't straight narrow people, right? They will dabble in some other things, you know, some extracurricular things. But I made it very well. Do you known. mean drugs? Yeah, any? drugs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and. As a cop, that makes you very nervous because, you know, that's not things that we affiliate ourselves with in any way, shape, or form. And I think people are really skeptical of me me during the Denver comedy scene when I originally came into it uh, because I came up in one of the biggest clubs in the country, Comedy Works, owned by Wendy Curtis. And um, their new talent program, you know, like I said, I was just doing open mics there for years. And people were kind of skeptical about me. But I think there's been two significant impacts that we could talk about. And the first one is, I didn't get involved in everybody else's lives. I was there to do comedy simply. And I didn't put myself in situations where it ended up being detrimental to me. I just did what I needed to do to get that time on stage, did it, went home. But what I didn't realize was going to happen was the impact I was going to have on the other comedians. And not just from learning how to do comedy and showing that craft off, but giving them a different impression of what law enforcement is because all they knew was Vinnie Montez. He's a cop and he's a comedian. But when they got time to spend time with me backstage, get to know me, and I've got tons and tons of friends around the country that are comedians now, I can tell you from the conversations that I've had with them where either they would just be like, hey, man, I didn't realize you were going to be like this way. I kind of had a different notion. Or they would call me and be like, hey, let me run this situation by you.
1: Because, <laughs> of course. Right? <laughs> I got a legal question. I got a
0: legal question. I got I, pulled over. Yeah. But you know what? The one thing I did is I never brushed those people aside. I would do the same thing. Look, I'm not here to give you legal advice and – uh, but they would ask me, but the more pointed questions came from people that I really got close to like Troy Walker. he's out here in California now. Um, he is an amazing comedian, but he would run situations by me that happened to him. Um, he is a black comedian, and he has you know obviously come up with a different perspective of law enforcement than I have sure uh, but we're good friends um, and some of the things he's asked me and some of the stories he's told me, which he's personally experienced you know one, I was able to give perspective on some of those. But two, I was also able to glean some perspective from him about, you know, how he came up and what his perspective was, which is not wrong because he just comes from a different perspective and a different view. I didn't didn't walk his walk or talk his talk coming up. And, you know, it gave me moments of pause where I was like, wow, I never considered how that might be perceived if, you know, from his perspective. And so it it definitely has been a two-way street. So I think, you know, in answering your question, I think I didn't realize the impact of all these comedians we're going to have on me. Cause it also kept me grounded, not being that cop all the time. And there's, you know, comics really struggle, you know, and I've seen a lot of these uh, men and women that have come up in the comedy scene, struggling from paycheck to paycheck. And I'm talking very small amounts of money, yet they still are able to continue moving forward. And then the other part was me being able to share my story and let them see a human side mm-hmm. of who we are in this field.
1: Right. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I imagine, I mean, I've experienced that too, but you know, I imagine that when you walk backstage at a comedy club, the last thing people want to hear is that you're a cop.
0: Yeah, I think it's weird, but I think it's weird. You'll see that for people who don't know me right away. And then I think there's these sidebar conversations that happen out of my presence where they're like, Hey, Vinny's cool. He's not here to, you know, judge you or, you know, be a cop. He's off duty and he's here right. to do. I, I truly am. I'm not there. Right. I, you know, you can't, I'm there to do comedy. Well, and
1: I chuckle because it's like, you know, when you go to the party, and you know, Oh, the cops are here. Yeah. Hey. yeah. Makes it's like, can yeah, I get it? Right. And my identity, you don't show up and I don't go, hey, the plumber's here. Someone fix that leaky pipe. You know,
0: like your job's your job. It is. And when people ask me what I do on a plane, like I travel all over, my first response is I'm a comedian. And they're like, wow, that's really cool. I don't get that response when I'm like, I'm, a cop. <laughs> I'm like, a
1: cop. They're like, oh.
0: Well, some people will be, you know, I'll be honest. Some people will be like, oh, hey, thank you for your service. I appreciate that. But right. some people are like, oh.
1: It, it's an awkward thing. It, it is. It, well, especially when, when people don't have the um, experiences or they don't, just don't deal with cops. I mean, I'm not saying like a negative law enforcement, positive law enforcement, but your everyday citizen doesn't have an interaction with police unless they get pulled over for something that's minor and they get their ticket or they don't and they're on their way. And all they do is tell you a story about the one time they got pulled over a brake light. Right. Or the one time I heard a cop at my friend's house and he told me this thing we were at a party and what, like they're very minor stories.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Or is it true if you put a bunch of pennies in your mouth that you can get rid of the alcohol if you're underage? Yeah. (laughs) yeah those things i mean They're all like, the urban legends right. about what you should do right. if you get in contact right. with the cop right
1: uh or you know oh um another one i love is oh yeah he was on the side of the freeway that was entrapment the way he was parked watching right radars like, right right no that's not entrapment Let me, no let's break out
0: the legal no matter. so you spend a lot of time uh you, you know but we, we may laugh at that but the interactions that we do and how we talk with people um will have an everlasting impression so um you know in 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 just to cut to another segue here is there was a instance where people took out of context what I um, had put online one time and it caused a lot of commotion out of my scene in Denver, but it was was really quick that all the comedians that I'd spent years decade more performing with, they're like, dude, you guys are taking this out of context. Vinny is actually a very good guy. So what you sow, you will reap what you sow. Uh And, you know I'd always put my best foot forward I am not perfect in any way shape or form but I definitely have never done anything to try to hurt anybody and it was really nice to see the Denver comedy scene rally behind me and you know this wasn't a huge huge issue but nonetheless it felt good to have that support you know in this forum
1: right well and when you bridge the gap and you build the bridges with people that's what they're gonna have and right. that, you know the humanizing the bad stuff and the videos that we do and the music that we that I do and the comedy you do that's all bits and pieces of and affecting one person at a time and if that one person at a time is affected that's the philosophy with hdb right build
0: the bridges to affect positive change in the community between the community and law enforcement absolutely and but you never know when those opportunities are going to come up and so i um i simply try to reach out and talk to everybody i think sometimes people are like a little annoyed because if they're reserved they're like who is this guy and why is he talking to me
1: well i I mean i can tell you guys several stories about Vinny and I being in uh, even tonight at restaurant we're at tonight, we're sitting there waiting for our table and Vinny to start singing in the middle of the restaurant and like making jokes. And it's like, people look at you like, who is this loudmouth in the corner? And I'm just like, that's just, that's Vinny. You just got to let Vinny be Vinny.
0: Well, here's the reason. One of the things I think I would challenge people to think about is, uh, if you never put yourself out there, mm-hmm. you don't know the opportunity of the people that you're going to meet. And I will tell you this straight out. Here's the example of me joining Humanize the Badge. I emailed Officer Daniels and said, hey, this is who I am, and I'd love to collaborate with you. And lo and behold, one day he shows up at one of my comedy shows. Uh, I'm taken aback at the moment he shows up. Next thing you know, he's introducing me on my social media pages and his. And, you know, this friendship begins. And had I never reached out, Uh simply sending an email to him, this right here would not be happening. Right. And I can tell you story after story of my life, uh, the experiences I've had. What's the worst? It's like like asking a very beautiful woman out. And I uh, I, I know we're digressing a little bit. When I was in high school, (laughs) there was this girl named Giovanna who was like, uh, she was one of the most beautiful girls in the entire school. And I was like, you know what? I'm a junior, but I'm going to ask her out. And uh, I mustered up the courage to do it and i sent her a bunch of different roses to each of her classes like did like the promposal today that's cute you know like the ones the kids are doing today look i actually started you know how old you just sounded i know
1: you know the ones the kids are doing today
0: (laughs) (laughs) i don't give a shit but you know what i i feel like i started that back in the day probably not but nonetheless i 1900 was a
1: great year so i'm glad that you yeah thank you
0: (laughs) Um, but I asked her out and she said yes. And man, that boosted my confidence when I was a young kid. How'd that work out? It, it worked out well. It worked out Did very it? well. Yeah. I'm serious. Where's she at right now? Uh, I think she's back East somewhere. Well, we have her on the line. Let's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and the thing about it is, is like, you know, that set the stage for me in a lot of things because I came from, or I'm sorry, not came from, I come from, uh, two parents who really worked their asses off of when they were uh, younger, trying to help get to me to a point where I could take advantage of opportunities. And the one thing I learned from my dad who was, uh, you know, I call him a hustler because we never, he didn't have a very big education right. um, at all. But, man, he always had relationships with people. It took him, we called it selling tamales. It took him 20 minutes to leave, you know, an event because <laughs> he had to stop and touch base with everybody. Yeah. But people always felt very warm and welcomed around him because it's how you make people feel. You know, you could do a lot of things for people, but how you make them feel and what you say to them and how you treat them reflects way more and lasts a lifetime. You don't remember what people necessarily do for you, Mm -hmm. but you always remember how they made you feel. Right. And I think that translates
1: directly to his advice for police officers, especially people starting the job is if you have that mentality with people and you treat people that way, you're going to get it back.
0: You are good or bad. Right. And I love that you said that because, um, one of the things I think we could be selfish about, I'm going to put this on me as police officers, especially when we're first starting our careers, is we take for granted that initial contact that we have with somebody and we're busy and we got to go, whatever. Maybe we're a little short with them. You know, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I, I've had times in my Absolutely. career I'm like, man, I shouldn't have been short with that person. Right. Well, just remember, and this is what we have to all keep in our minds, and I, this includes me, you know, I'm not leaving myself out of this, but how that contact goes and how we treat people is going to set the tone for the next contact for our partners. True. And that could be either positive or negative. So we're already, we don't want to leave our partners in the hole. So that's something I've really learned as a lesson over the course of my career. And you know, what if it was my family that was the ones that were getting contacted by that officer, good, bad, or indifferent no mm-hmm. matter the reason mm-hmm. I would at least want that officer to give them their undivided attention to help them out.
1: Right. Absolutely. Now you did a video, uh, not long ago, um, Probably around the start of COVID, I would say, right after the the George Floyd stuff. Okay. You did a video, uh, to those of you who don't know me. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. This video on your Facebook, I think, got well over a million views.
0: Yeah, it's like up to three million. I couldn't believe it, yeah.
1: And it's uh, had some media coverage. Yes. Um, News articles. I think uh, Denver, Channel 9 in Denver did an article on it. Yes, a lot Uh, of
0: agencies, yep. Talk to me about that. What went through your mind when you made that video? Well, so this was right at the height of George Floyd, And I had never done anything online in my full uniform with the permission of the agency, the sheriff. And I felt like that there was this narrative being talked about, you know, what I was hearing, regardless of what it was being said, I was hearing that all cops are bad. And this wasn't to stir up, you know, I didn't go after any one person or anything. This simply talked about my perspective to those who don't know me, and I talked about a lot of experiences that I've lived through and asked, not said, you must do this. I asked people to get to know their local law enforcement um, because until you've done this job and you've gone and run the calls that go along with this job, you really don't know. It's no different than, you know, If you've never worked in a restaurant before, you really truly don't know what it's like to work in the service industry. I've never done that, but I'm telling you right now, I couldn't go in there and assume that I knew everything about what happens in the kitchen and how the, you know, whatever the cadences are and whatever, however the routine needs to go. I have no idea.
1: But with human nature, it's easy for us to nitpick when a waiter forgets something or when something's messed up. But yeah, we've never been in that situation. Exactly. But it's just what we do. It's just our natural instinct.
0: Right, 100%
1: because you want it to be right, you want it to work out and when it doesn't you're pissed.
0: Yeah, you know what the you know what the outcome should be right. when you go to a restaurant, right? Right. right. The, that's the thing about law enforcement though, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. None of us do, depending on how we Now we have an influence on that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that influence is null and void. It that person already has a predisposition to what's going to happen, right. what their mindset is and how this is going to go. But the common public Right, They have this, oh, cops
1: show up, bad guy gets in handcuffs, he goes to jail. Right. So when something deviates from that, that's what causes that divide. Because they think, well, why didn't you guys do it this way when they don't know? Because they don't have that experience to make that call.
0: Yeah, and this is a simple example. Um, one of the officers locally where I worked, they got a shooting, and they ended up shooting this guy. And I remember at our gym, we were working out, and I was having a protein shake. And the guy behind the counter is like, I don't know why they just didn't shoot this guy in the hand and like or the arm. And I was like, Ugh. I didn't even want to entertain it. Right. But I did. And the only reason that I did is because I didn't want this kid. It was a young adult in his early, early 20s. I didn't want this guy going on thinking that that's what people just do. We just shoot, you know, aimlessly. Right. And, you know, we all know that we're in this business. We know that we shoot center mass because that's a large available target in order to stop the threat. Uh And trying to shoot at somebody's hand is like, you know, trying to shoot at a very small moving target. It's just not going to happen. And hands move a lot quicker than the center mass does. Right. So I took the time to explain to him. I don't think I don't think I made a dent at all, but at least he had the information available to him. And so you know, it just goes back to like taking the time to explain, having that contact, sharing that information. Um, You know, you may not always reach everybody, but you just can't judge. And I guess that's what the video goes back to. Simply is to say, look, take the time to get to know what I'm doing, who I am, because. Just like people don't want to be judged based upon their color creed, you know whatever background they are, we as officers want to be judged on our merit during that specific contact that we have with people right. and I don't think that there is anything wrong with expressing that, and that's why I created that video uh, because it came from the heart, and I just wanted to share that you know look here's our voice too to everything that's going on and I say clearly in that video we none of us condoned what happened in Minneapolis right, but at the same time i'm I'm, not, I'm not OK with everybody saying and thinking, at least from my perspective, that all of the brothers and sisters that I represent and work with along across the United States are bad people because you and I get up every morning and we know the people that are out there that are selfless, doing selfless acts. And I say this a lot when I perform and talk to young people is like nobody calls us when everything is going Great. Right. You know, when you got married, I mean, nobody calls us and says, Hey, ever, come down to my marriage, cops, you guys that are on duty. Look, we're going to have cake afterwards. You know, it's part of the celebration. No, they call us when that wedding goes completely to shit. <laughs> Cakes being thrown everywhere. Grandpa got into the keg. Yeah. Again. Ke- you know, and everybody's fighting. He's hit people with his cane. Yeah. And- yeah. It's not good. Right. It's not good. Yeah. So that, that was, in, in short, you know, it was to just share the message of what it's like to be on this side a little bit well, i think it was a great video and i'm glad uh if you guys
1: even just google Vinny montez like half the articles come up as is about that video um so i'm glad it got the coverage that it did um so now Vinny, you are currently a commander mm-hmm. uh, you have worked every rank underneath that including lieutenant sergeant corporal
0: well commander is the equivalent to lieutenant so well,
1: don't don't sass me Vinny. <laughs> okay y-
0: yes i, I i've Started in the bottom and uh, even as a reserve deputy explorer before even. McKinney so a lot Christian. of experience being a leader. Uh, yeah, I would feel like I have some experience being a leader.
1: So we're going to talk about some police leadership stuff. Um, obviously, this is an important thing for morale and for cops and and, and the functionality of an agency. Um, but with a couple of things I have with today's job of policing being uh, harder than ever, possibly. Yes. Right. At least in our careers. Right. Uh what failures in police leadership have you seen or experienced across the country during current times? Let's during narrow it down to right now. What are things right now that you see from police leadership in this country that is causing is failing cops?
0: Boy, this is a very big question and I'm trying to think of ways to just narrow it down here. I guess the simplest way to say is we'll start with one aspect and there's probably a couple others that we'll talk about. But one of the things is just humanizing the way we approach the public in the media, and what I mean by that is not just the normal local reporters when they call us and stuff, but having an active presence online, talking about all the good, positive things that are going on within every single agency, because the negative media from people that are doing audits around the country mm-hmm. and uh, First Amendment auditors and mm-hmm. all that stuff that goes on, and then you know you deal with the media. Not all media is bad, but you know there's a lot of negative stories out there. Well, they there. like stories, right? So in order to combat that, you have to be talking about the good things that are going on in your agency because you do have men and women throughout this country who are getting up every day. Like I said, they're doing a lot of positive stuff. You know, LT, one of our, mm-hmm. you know, um, departed, uh, members of HTB, uh, June 2nd of last year, uh, You know, he was very active in his community, you know, helping to set up, I think, a basketball hoop for local kids and Uh um, also mentoring and doing a lot of positive stuff. But what I took away from him and his story simply is he was doing a lot of good stuff. But there was some of that video that was captured doing those things. Those moments that you're having with the public that are uh, good. And, you know, of course, the bad's going to get brought out no matter what. Uh But those moments that you're having with those kids and stuff like that, especially the youth, because you have to have that impression with them early. You got to be talking about that. If you got officers that are doing a kick-ass job in schools as SROs, or you got officers that are out there working their ass off taking DUIs to jail, keeping the seat, the streets safe, or you got impact officers, whatever kind of agency you got, correctional officers that are dealing with mental health people inside, yeah. no matter what it is that's going on, positive in that department, you need to be sharing that story because otherwise nobody's going to know it's happening because we don't call the public into our eyes. You, nobody's ever going to be on that scene of that disturbance where we did a really good job. We did an excellent DV investigation and those officers did a really good job of getting that report done. They got victim services involved. They got counseling involved through the victim advocates. We have to be talking about those good things those officers are doing. And it does two things. One, it shares the story about what's going on. But two, it recognizes those men and women that that job is being, it has a sense of worth. Right. And I think that's a bigger thing too, you know, in our agency, even, you know, there's a lot going on. I mean, nobody's ever going to go to a police agency and be like, Hey, there's nothing going on. We're just kind of hanging back. Right. (laughs) There's always calls for service to deal with. There's always reports that are holding. There's always things that have to be done and you never have enough money. You, if you, if you got into law enforcement for making money, this is the wrong job, right? That's true. The public sector or the private sector is much better for that, but Mm -hmm. I don't think I would want to spend my life doing that. But nonetheless, in agencies don't have a ton of money. So you need to figure out ways you can make positive impacts. And social media, being on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snap, Twitter, Googlegram, whatever it is you're choosing to do. Snap, Twitter, Googlegram. Right? (laughs) Whatever it is you're choosing to do, you need to be on that media site and you need to be pushing that story out. And, of course, you're going to get some haters on there, which everybody does. But it just gives an opportunity. The other thing I think we can do is uh, servant leadership. And, you know, I am not a perfect leader. I'm going to tell you right now, I have huge faults, Um, you know, Sometimes things I do are just a detriment, and what I mean by that is sometimes I get behind in some of the admin work because I want to spend time on the street with the people, uh, the officers that are working, the deputies. and But I think it's important for them to see the leadership, even if it's a commander out on the street taking calls and shucking calls with them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because we're all in this together and I will show up on a call and I haven't done something in a while, like a procedure for like a DUI. Like I did roadsides a couple weeks ago (laughs) and the deputy was like, well, you know, that was pretty good. I gave you that one, but you know, a little rusty. That's okay though. But it, it goes back to that team mentality, right? If you're going to ask somebody to do something, one of the first things leadership is you better be willing to do it yourself. And if I'm going to be one of those people that's sitting in a position that has ability to have impact on the deputies' lives within the organization, then I should be able to spend some time doing exactly what they're doing so I don't lose touch with what's truly happening on the street. Um, but it can't go so far as that you know, I'm not getting being effective where I need to be on, in the admin part of it.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I think uh, obviously people who are in leadership positions and departments, specifically when it comes to chiefs, um, not so much sheriffs cause they're elected, but with chiefs, you know, people are put in that position by politicians and mayor and stuff because they think that that person will be good with the public. Right. But I think it's important for police leaders. And here I am speaking as a, a low level, uh, you know, deputy sheriff here. Um, I think people in police leadership positions need to realize that not only are you there as a police leader to lead the department in the eye of the public, you are also there to lead the department in the eye of the officers. And I think that when when police leadership forgets that not only do you have to constantly please the public, because we know in today's world you have to constantly take care of the public. Right. If you only care about the public, your officers are going to feel like they're not cared about.
0: Right. And I think one way to be good about that is when critical incidents happen. So, you know, not being quick to judge, you know, not only the media is going to do that when they get whatever information you're going to give to them but taking the time to analyze what happened and not rendering judgment, especially not in the media. And I I feel like the agency I work for does a good job of not doing that. Um, and I feel like one of the big things that were the the sheriff that I work for, he is super big on being transparent, which I think you absolutely have to be Uh in this age. Uh Um, and, One of the things I think that's, you know, I don't know, some officers are still against this, but I am firmly not, especially having worked up through the ranks and now being a commander, is the body-worn camera issue. Like, I think a lot of cops were like, oh, my gosh, you know, people are going to be trying to get us in trouble. Well, I'll tell you flat out, in the time that I've been a commander, I have seen the body-worn camera save more officers than anything else. So I think it's just, you know, there's going to be change, uh, you know. In everything that we do, and I think that taking the time to understand what the deputies need in in an agency or officers need in an agency, talking to them, getting that buy-in and not just dropping things on people. You know, communication, I don't care what agency you work for. Mm -hmm. If that communication is not crystal clear from the top all the way to the bottom, and I'm not saying our agency is immune to it because we are not. No, no, no agencies. Perfect. Um, But uh, definitely some of those are some of the fundamental building blocks to having a successful organization, the other part. And I alluded to this a little bit ago was recognizing those deputies who are out there doing the job day in and day out. Cause this is not easy and it's harder than when I was a deputy because of all the scrutiny that's going on right now.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, that obviously starts even for being an FTO. You know, oh, hundred percent. As soon as, you know, when you're, when you're a line officer or a deputy and you're just going to calls and doing your thing, You know, you just do your job. But as soon as you become an FTO and you got that person that you're watching and supervising, those decisions and the things that you do are going to start um, brushing off on that person. And that goes, it becomes a wider net the further up you go.
0: Yes. And, you know, you bring up FTOs. I don't think sometimes uh, people realize how big of an impact that FTO will have because that person, it's like a, and and I'm not calling the, the example, I'm not calling the, People, kids, in here. I'm just using this as an analogy, but because you're old, when you have <laughs> when you have <laughs> young deputies or officers in an FTO program, how the FTOs act, the decorum they show, the things they talk about, that all rubs off. Because those young officers are sponges, just like young kids are. Mm-hmm. So you have an opportunity to do detriment detrimental things to them mentally if you um, aren't careful. And it's you know sometimes people will be upset. You know the salty dogs, the FTOs sometimes they've been around the block they know what they're doing that's why they're in that position but we have to be remember, uh, mindful to not share you know necessarily opinions of you know how we perceive people or situations you know that are internal about the business or the laundry of the agency to have a negative impression on them let them form their own opinions based on what's going on because you know we can create roadblocks for them where they they don't need to have them so i guess the point of me bringing this up is you're and i'm glad you use the word is supervision an fto is not an FTO. They are a first line supervisor. There's that's the first area to really gain some first line level supervision because you're responsible for that person who's in training to make sure they get the best possible training. And really you're shaping and molding them no different than a parent would do to try to learn the basics about doing this job.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, sometimes it's harder than you want oh, it to be, but harder, yeah. that's, that's the job. That's the role that you take. Uh, and you got to understand that when we were at dinner tonight, you mentioned something very interesting to me and, uh, I just wrote it down here because I thought this is a good time to bring it up, but you have a philosophy. Yes. As a leader. Yes. You have three rules, three expectations that you want your people to follow.
0: Yes. Break that down for me. So it just comes from all the things that, uh, the mentors that I've had and. um, You know, this is nothing that I created that is, you know, earth shattering, but it's the basics that I think will get people through any shift. And uh, the first rule is be nice. And I go back to the I always describe it by saying, you know, remember that old show Roadhouse there. I guess I'm dating myself again. Roadhouse, Patrick Swayze, you know, he would when he was the cooler for all the bouncers, he'd be like, be nice until it's time to not be nice. Mm-hmm. We as cops never have to wonder. You should never have to wonder when it's time to not be nice. And what I mean by that is that you're going to not going to be mean to people, right. but you're going to have to take care of business sometimes and use force. It's not going to be it, it should be no question when that time is. Up until that point, you better be willing to take a tongue lashing from people cuz whether you like it, I like it or anything like that, we are paid for people to talk shit to us. They're going to call us names, they're going to say stuff, but it is not personal, right? Be nice until it's clearly time for you to switch, switch flip the switch to take it the other way. The other, rule number 2 is take care of the men and women to your left and to your right. And simply what that means is Not only take care of the mental health and look out for your brothers and sisters that are working and potentially, you know, experiencing some trauma, whether acute or across a long career, but also take care of them when they're on the street with you. What I mean by that is there's, we've all worked a district or a beat and you're getting your ass handed to you. Well, none of us like that. We need our partners to help us out so we can get through the shift and, you should be doing the same on other nights when they're getting their ass handed to them. Right. So the whole expectation is, is like, look, take care of each other. We only got each other. You're not going to call the average citizen to come back you up because they don't have the skills or the experience to do it. It's just the men and women that you're working on shift with or the sister agencies next to you. And the last rule is simply... Don't get yourself so far in that I can't get you out. And simply what that means is if you don't know what you're doing, stop. If discretionary time allows itself, stop and ask somebody, whether it's a partner that's the exact same level as you, an FTO, a sergeant, a lieutenant, commander, captain. Take the time to ask the questions because if you don't, and you're investigating that crime where you you know you could have taken a moment to have done it correctly at the beginning it's sometimes hard to go back and you know that especially being a detective mm-hmm. you know take the extra moment if you have discretionary time to ask a question and and don't feel embarrassed like oh my god they're going to think less of me you know what don't worry about opinions cuz you all know how that works out too just Be humble enough to say, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll tell you that right now. I walk into rooms when people use words that I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Can you tell me what that means? I do because I want people to know I don't think I'm up here. Like, I'm just a regular guy. You know, I know some words and I speak Spanish. And you look at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Because you speak a little bit. But when you don't know something, people often associate that with embarrassment. Right. Embrace that shit embrace it and just be like, I don't know. Can you help me understand what that means? And that goes to the way we deal with calls too. If you don't know, I guarantee you there's a cop or a senior person in that agency who has experience dealing with it. Why wouldn't you want to just at least get a little bit of perspective before you jump into the pool of the deep end? Check the ego. Yeah, check
1: the ego. It's just like when you didn't know how to use Instagram and you had asked me to show you. (laughs) That's true, that's true. Check the ego. I know, you guys have all taught me so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So going back, we're going to talk about, well, not talk about it. I'm just going to say there's several... Uh, organizations and things that that cops can look into for resources if you're having a hard time. Right. And obviously we talked a little bit about coping and using things to cope with what we deal with. Um, humanizing the badge has an offshoot nonprofit called call for backup. Um, that's just one of many organizations that, that are available 24 seven. If you need them to call message email, uh, and, and and if you're in a spot, if you want to talk to somebody, absolutely. You need to do that. Um,
0: Yeah, and there's other things that, you know, those are for acute situations, you know, and uh, just simply picking up a phone and calling a colleague and reaching out, you know, we'll get that process started. But there's also, uh, you know, if you don't mind me telling you um, and sharing this with our listeners is that for me, I went through a lot of EAP programs when I was first trying to deal with my mental health and they were terrible. And it's not that those people were bad people. They just didn't understand. I remember talking to one therapist one time and I I I've seen a lot of mental health people over the course of my career, especially since I realized I was struggling. And the EAP people, I was sitting with one therapist and as I was describing some of the things that I dealt with over my career, I could just see her cringing her face and I was like, oh my god, i'm I'm really disturbing you. And the problem with that is is what I realized and now is a leadership a leader position in my organization it's important that you talk to somebody that has some form of experience or background in law enforcement. If you have that available, you know, if you don't, you know, you have to work with what you have, but yeah. if you can see a clinician that has experience dealing with law enforcement officers that has some type of background in knowing what we do, that's important because they can give you better things. Some of the things that therapies they move me through is EMDR, which is rapid yeah. eye movement therapy, I've which heard that actually is the, phenomenal. I heard a lot of the firefighters call it the fucking magic. Cause after you get through with it, um, you're just like really even killed. And I didn't believe that until I went through it. And I've done several sessions of that. And then the other thing is, you know, finding other resources, which are not just counseling, but opportunities. And I'll share this one with you because I work with these people very closely. But the bridge in Columbus, Ohio, they host an event uh, four times a year. Um, the bridge is uh, for first responders who are struggling. And it's not just for the first responder. And I'm talking all first responders, dispatchers, corrections, deputies, firefighters, They bring in some of the best speakers from around the country, and they pay for the entire tuition, the bridge. Uh, And what they do is they not only bring the first responder, but their significant other or spouse. And these are people that are struggling to... The the job is impacting their relationship. Uh-huh. Um, it's creating substance issues. It's creating alcohol issues. Whatever the issue may be, it's an opportunity. It's a three-day retreat in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, AJ, uh-huh. oh, no, it's the po-po, yep. uh, speaks at this conference. But it's just an opportunity for people to um, share personally some of the things they're going through, but also hear others because it always makes you feel better, at least as me, hearing other people are going through some of the same things that I was struggling with. Yeah. And when you know you've got other people that are out there that are just like you, it takes away some of that taboo. It takes away a little bit of the embarrassment because you're not the only one. And I guess that's the whole point about the mental health is to let people know that if you're struggling, you're not alone.
1: Right. You're not not the first cop ever. Right. Or first responder ever to deal with these things. Yes. And I know we kind of jumped from police leadership to that but a lot of that goes in, in in
0: together and that's that's why I went to that those resources because you're absolutely right because if you're not supporting your if you want long-term employees yep. who are going to be there for a long healthy career these components are giving them things to be successful with at the outset of their careers and letting them know that it's okay to have it's okay to not be okay or if you're struggling with something to speak out about it mm-hmm. by supporting them at the beginning of that career and building the fundamental building blocks to deal with those issues right. will lend themselves to having a much more successful and keeping them out of trouble in a long career that they can leave. Cause the one thing that I don't know if anybody's ever talked about, at least on your podcast is, and this is just simply an observation because I started very young in 1990 as a law enforcement explorer, but it's very rare, rare, very rare that you see cops leave on their own terms. Yeah. They're either medical out, they get tired of the job or something with their mental health or alcohol or, you know, it's hard to leave in healthy condition after yeah. 25 or 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, and and, you know, ultimately
1: too, from a a, a low-level law enforcement Quit saying
0: that, you're a detective.
1: (laughs) I'm a low-level guy. Uh, (laughs) You know, it seems like in today's day and age, we're either getting it from the public or we're getting it from police leadership. And that's not my personal experience. I'm just saying nationwide, right? Mm -hmm. Either you're getting it from either side or you're getting it from both. And as somebody who has been an FTO and has mentored people. At some point you got to give, you got to, you got to be a wall to one end of the suck. And if that what do you, means what do you mean? being a good police leader, yeah. if that takes away half of the bullshit that cops have to deal with, that's half the bullshit they're not dealing with.
0: Yeah. But I'll challenge you to think about this this way. You don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. True. And so until and I'll give it to you this way. Like think about me being a young officer coming out on the street. I thought I knew everything I needed to know, mm-hmm. you know, day one. Right. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Before, <clears throat> before I actually spent my first day on the street, you know, I wore that uniform. I stood in front of the mirror and I was like, "Yeah, <clears throat> Daddy has arrived." Right? <laughs> I mean, like, let's be honest. If you're not, one of, if you're one of those cops out there, and say you didn't stand in front of the mirror with your uniform on, just looking at yourself, going, "Yeah, I
1: sure. did." I, have, I actually have selfies of it.
0: Yeah, and so my point being is, I
1: didn't start nineteen. And, and,
0: and, and we're great friends, but I'm going to just tell this to you because I'm going to challenge you to think, think about this because it's important to hear both sides of it. You know, you're coming from your perspective, right? The perspective that I have and the worries that I have are different than yours as a detective because there's a lot of my plate on my level. Now, I'm not excusing any of the poor leadership things that go on, but you don't know what you don't know until you're in that seat. And until people sit in my seat as a commander and try to understand the dynamic of what I'm dealing with at my level, um, you know, because the thing that I will tell you right now that the number one thing I think I deal with is every single decision that I make at my level has an unintended consequences and an unintended impact sometimes on various parts of the organization. So I'll give you an example. You know, when every time I have a recruit come out to the street, you know, I'm impacting people's schedules. You know, people be able to take time off that are FTOs. I'm impacting people who maybe they were not going to have a recruit in their car for two months, more than two months straight. Now we're short FTOs because uh-huh. somebody went out on light duty and, hey, I need you for a third month. And they're like, Ugh. Right. But they, but I'm making those decisions, or even if I, hey, I bring a new car into the fleet, of course everybody wants to drive the new car, and people are like, how come I didn't get a new car? And all these things that go on and, and within an organization, or we, I failed to communicate, hey, this is a decision that we made, and this is the route we're going, but all of a sudden it's impacting people down the line, and I didn't communicate it well. So <clears throat> I'm not taking away the anything you have to say, but until you sit in the seat, like no different until people on the street sit in our seats as cops, uh-huh. they don't know what they're talking about.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, I think I
0: think maybe I should
1: maybe I should clarify what I meant. Okay. go ahead. Being a police leader. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Being a police leader. And when I say being a good police leader. Right. I don't mean you don't make those hard decisions because you have to as a police leader. Okay. you have to say, hey, bro, sorry, you're going to have to take a trainee for another month. Right. That's not what I mean. Okay. what I mean is supporting your people. Yes. Knowing that their job is hard because you've been there. And ultimately this is what it comes down to as a police leader. Don't forget where you came from and that will help stop the suck that the cops have to deal with on that admin level.
0: Yes. The hard part about it is, and and I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying the jobs are different and those decisions that get made up the stream a little bit, you're faced with hard decisions, you know, and it's akin, I, I'm trying to find an analogy But you, here.
1: Can, you can make those decisions yes. and, and still be personable with your people. 100%. You can make those decisions and say, hey, bro, I know this is not what you wanted. This is what we right. have to do because X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to try to make it as good okay, for me as Okay, I understand possible. what you're saying. You see where I'm yes, going
0: with that? Yes, yes, So, So the way you got to do that is it goes back to what I said earlier is you have to be a clear communicator, which, man, sometimes I think I'm communicating and... I've learned email, by the way, which you know is not a way to communicate. Yeah. I try to line everything up in person. I tie in with my sergeants on a regular because I want them to hear it from me. All right. <clears throat> and I want to give them a chance to tell me. And, and I probably overdo it sometimes, but even when I'm on my days off, I'll call into the sergeants that are working and I'll be like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? I, 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 I shit you not. I check in with them all the time. They don't need me all the time. I can tell you that, and I try to stay out of their way. I don't want to be that micromanager telling them what to do but I want them to know that I'm there for them in the event they need something that they don't feel like they can't reach out to me. Just like I expect our people to be able to uh-huh. reach out to those people around them, I want the sergeants to feel like I'm reachable and available. All right. And knowing that you have somebody there for you, it goes back even to the mental health. When you know you have somebody there for you, you have your wife, you know, you got somebody you can lean on. When you don't feel like you're alone and you're on a team, like we have with HTB, uh-huh. you know, we're not in this alone. Uh-huh. So I think leadership has a lot to deal with not only just doing the best you can and trying to be a good communicator and effective leader, mm-hmm. but making sure that your people don't feel like they're out on their own and alone. Right.
1: I think we're more together on our yes, beliefs we are. there.
0: Yes. I think we're just coming at it from two different. And ultimately,
1: ultimately if you take that approach yes, and you treat people that way, when it comes time to give that training officer a trainee for the third month in a row, they're going to say, wow, that sucks commander Montez, but I got you. Yeah, Before and I, make it I
0: that's happening right now. I have I have uh, bled the turnip. My mom always says you can't bleed a turnip, but I have bled the turnip. <laughs> Our FTO cadre right now, they have worked their asses off. Yeah. Simply put, they have really worked their asses off. We you know, we got down just like probably many other agencies around the country being short, and we decided to go on a super higher kick. But the only way to get more people out there is to put more people in training, and you gotta be willing to have trainers that stick in the extra mile yeah. to get it done. And I have tell you, I am blessed for the people that we have in our organization that have really taken it on the chin and just like stood there taking those punches trying to get us through this hard time. And for those of you that end up listening to this, thank you very much sincerely for making us successful.
1: And that is what makes a good police leader. Because you remember when you were
0: in that seat. I definitely do. <laughs>
1: and that's that's I think a frustration that cops have is that they think that the people at the top are disengaged from what it was like. And they begin making rules and orders and things which I get right that sometimes things got to go the way they do. Um, but I also think there's a big difference in running an agency mm-hmm. and feeding into the political side of being a police leader right and throwing your people under the bus <clears> at times. And we've obviously seen that. that's not I'm not going to say that's like the overwhelming majority of agencies do that because I don't think they do, but in today's day and age, we are seeing police leadership really fail their officers in cities across this country
0: yeah i have seen some of that as well i, I feel like i'm blessed that i don't work in an agency where i feel like uh that happens mm-hmm. um I, of course not everybody always thinks everything that's made de- is is not everybody in the agency that a decision is made man i can't talk for a second <laughs> <laughs> i got him <laughs> when uh no matter there's always going to be decisions that are made where everybody doesn't agree right and like I say, being transparent and talking about those things openly and anybody can come into my office. I I know there's some agencies that don't have an open door policy. I don't care if you're a deputy one in recruit status or you're the sheriff. My door is always open. You know, I may not be able to talk about certain things depending on what's going on, but if you want to just come in and talk to me and chat it up or if it's something that's within my purview, I will be definitely happy to explain the reasons for what I'm doing and I'm never going to tell you, you know, if it's something I could talk about, I will tell you exactly. And the other thing, I mean, I don't know, sometimes this has bit me in the ass, and sometimes it's, I think, more beneficial than not, is I try to be as straight shooter as I can. Like, people know where I stand. I don't like people to feel like, uh, where's he at on this, or how is he? And if you do something wrong, or you, you make a mistake, well, good, because that's how you're going to learn. You know, we can't take back the wrong shootings, but we can certainly take back everything else, and that's a sergeant that... Um, I grew up with, he would always tell me, Vinny, Vinny, short of shooting somebody, we can pretty much fix everything else. <laughs> and uh, I'm serious. But that old it's true. That it's old true. school straight-up mentality, like, yeah. I, I, anytime I call somebody in my office, when I call them on the phone, I always lead with, hey, you're not in trouble, but can you come to my office? Of Cause, because I hated getting called into yeah. the commander or the sergeant's office, right. and not knowing if I was getting an ass-chewing or what. I tried to lead with that, and I also you know i just tell people straight up you know hey this isn't cutting the mustard for where we need to be at so this is what we need to do like would you rather be was it killed by a million cuts or just one shot you know people want to know the truth and i was a terrible supervisor when i first got promoted as a sergeant cuz i didn't have a lot of the mentorship that i should have and Plainly speaking, like I would watch people do stuff wrong, and then I would just kind of okay, note that, note that, note that. And then I would bring them in and I'd be like, hey, just let's go over a few things here. You did this, and then this and mm-hmm. this. And they would look at me and the first thing they would say, all of them, they'd be like, Why didn't you tell me when it happened? And that's what I do now. Like I tell people flat out. And it, it might be even something minor, but I'm like, hey, can I just point this out real quick? And I said, you know, this is not a big deal, but this is not the and it's not personal. It's always like, look, this is not how we're supposed to do it. This is the policy for the agency. But I don't want to see you doing that anymore. Can you, We can do better next time. And I don't make it accusatory or I ask a question. Do you know what the policy is on this? Because I observe this and this. But I tell them straight out, look, I observe this. This is what the issue is. Let's, and let's move on. And guess what? Don't bring that fucking thing back up again. When you correct somebody yeah. or you have a corrective action that's just a quick conversation, that shit's dead in the water. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Don't Don't live, hold in, it over don't live in the past. Right. Cause I've had jackets follow me Uh during my career and nobody appreciates that shit.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I've heard stories about like when it comes to like promoting people and all the command sits and round tables promotions and somebody will bring up something that happened when that person was a trainee like 15 years ago. Yeah. it's like, really people can't grow and change, which they do. But I do want to know one question. Go for it. After you choose someone's ass, I don't really hold on. Le, like, do you think? Finish. Are you talking like yelling? I don't do that. Uh, well, you know, I don't know you kind of seem like you. You could be a little intimidating. I'm kidding. You're no. fine. After you talk with somebody, yeah, you tell them they screwed something up, yeah. Do you give them a little stand-up joke, or what? Do you, how, do, how does that end? No, like, no, do you, no, no. Like I, I I'm you really leave like, them on a good note, Vinny. Do you tell them the bear story? Do you tell them the loofah story?
0: No, I mean, I always ask for follow-up. Like, if they have any questions or anything like that? I try to let. First of all, if there's a if it's a first line thing, it's not going to get dealt with at my level. Sergeants are there to be sergeants. That's the first line job. They should be dealing with the, the deputies first line. If there's any issue, sometimes it's a minor thing. Like you know, I'm out on a call. Um, God, I'm trying to think of an example here. <clears throat> well, I'll just be flat out. I didn't like the way a deputy talked to a citizen one day. And, you know, we don't need to make this a federal case. So I just said, hey, I waited till we were done with the call. And I told the sergeant, hey, do you mind if I talk to him? I was there. I witnessed it. And I think it would be kind of... I'd be a jackass if I said, Hey, Sarge, can you go deal with this? Yeah, when,
1: and that's pretty common.
0: Right. That's my that if, yeah. if I was on the call with him and I was the supervisor there, I want to deal with it. Right. So I just pull them aside. I'm like, hey, this is not good. I don't like it when we're talking to people. Like that's not who we are, that's not how we do it. And this is the expectation, you know, and that's it. Flat out. Cool. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, okay. And they gave me a little bit of an explanation why, and I heard them out, but I was like, all right, I understand where you're coming from. However, this is the expectation here at the sheriff's office, and this is how we do business. And then I never brought it up again because it was dealt with. Now, if it became a repeated pattern, you know, and I know right. how that's going to go. But you know what? People need a little corrective action sometimes. Yep. And I know corrective action might be a formal process for you, but I just mean a quick little chat in the field and be done with it. But that's not my role. Like I said, the sergeants, they've got their teams. And I don't, I don't like people going around my people, uh-huh. or I'm sorry, going around me to talk to my sergeants that I'm responsible for. So right. I expect the same thing. So I don't ever you know take away that courtesy from the sergeants that are responsible for them. If it gets to my level, usually it's a a supervisory review or an IA, you know, at that level. And I, right. you know, I, I got to tell you. But if
1: you're there and you're able to do what you can do, yes, you're going to do it. And listen
0: to this. I want to tell everybody, listen to this. There is nothing more that I hate. I'm telling you right now. There is nothing more in my career or in my job as a commander that I hate than having to investigate our people. That fucking drives me crazy. I... I root for our people like you would not believe. I bet. Because I, there's not, like, listen, man, I got into be a cop because I used to watch Chips. I love being out on the street, and I get no love in doing that. It drives me crazy. And, you know, sometimes we get these complaints, and they're bullshit complaints, and sometimes we get ones that are they're legitimate, right? Man, I tell you, that's the worst part of my job. I, I don't like doing it. But I'll do it. It's my job. I just, man, I'm always rooting for our people to shine, not to. Right. And I can tell you that's the way it is in our organization. We wish the best for our people. Well, that's awesome, man.
1: Well, Vinny, I really appreciate you joining me. Um,
0: I wish I could say the same.
1: <laughs> and there's a send-off with a joke. Oh, thank you. Yes, we, uh, we have um, a little product I want to I shout out here. So uh, there's a company that hit me up on Instagram. Uh, they're called DRT soap.
0: DRT? Yeah. You know, dead like, right there? Dead
1: right there, right? So uh, it's a law enforcement soap company.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a very smelly soap. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we're going to find out, Vinny, because you're going to be my what, what, the, what does it come
0: in? The essence of D-Comp?
1: <laughs> well, we're going to find out because you're going to be my, uh, my scent tester. Okay.
0: Yeah. Because you? I can't smell. Oh, yeah, all, right, all right.
1: It's a, it's a, it's a COVID problem. This one's, gonna,
0: this one's going to, this one's going to be maggot with a essence of
1: <laughs> an aroma of coagulation <laughs> an Aroma of coagulated blood. So, uh, uh, DRT soap. They went ahead and sent me a box here, a little care package. Um, DRT.
0: I don't know you people, but I already love you.
1: <laughs> I'm going to be putting it on. I got a knife in my hand here. This is just to open the box. Not for anything else. Benny, calm down. Uh, I'm going to be putting this on Instagram too. some of their products and pictures and stuff, shout them out, but I wanted to hear on the podcast. I wanted to give them a little bit of love okay. for sending me some, some soaps and I wanted you to be my, my set guy.
0: I'll be happy to be your set. Can you guy. do that? Yeah. I've been right. smelling your ass We're the whole good. time we've been here.
1: <laughs> well, I can't smell. So I, I apologize. I didn't, I haven't showered in a
0: couple. Yeah. Months. Your wife was telling me earlier that you've had a lot of odoriferous semination No, I don't, lately.
1: I don't know what she's talking about. I don't do that.
0: It's already open. Just peel. The no. p-
1: God, look at You're
0: that. definitely a detective. Well, if there's a process here. There's the process. If here, it's, if it's process. not done
1: for me the first time, I I don't know how to handle it. You know. All right, we're opening the box. Here we go. Got a lot of ambient noise going on here. Okay, so we got three things in here. All right, we got two bars of soap. The first bar is called County Line, and they have this cool little package. It's got a little little uh, pig on there, dressed uh-huh. up as a little cop with his soap. So this is called County Line Handmade Grime-Fighting
0: Soap. Handmade Grime-Fighting Soap. <laughs> what do you think of the County Line? Oh, this is actually very nice. What does it smell like? What aroma are you getting? Uh, pine. Oh. And uh, I don't know. It just has a very clean and fresh smell. Does it? Yeah, it's very... Uh, it's. It's aromatic, but not overwhelming because, you know, I don't like stuff mm-hmm. that just like totally takes over. You know, those guys that get the Ox body spray and they're yeah, like, yeah. they walk into a room on the other side and you can smell them. That right was, away?
1: that was high school for me because everybody, oh. it, Axe had just come out and everybody used it.
0: Yeah. This is uh, this smells delectable. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you should use the word delectable. I mean, I'm not going to eat it well, or anything, Well I'm sure you, maybe it you smells could. great. Craig, what do you think of this, man?
1: Give it a smell. We got our, we are our, our guest guest. What do we think? He's smelling. Oh, God, do you have COVID? <laughs> you <can't. laughs> he doesn't look like he can smell it. Yeah, uh, come on up here, Craig. It come on. Like axe. It doesn't smell like Axe. <laughs> well, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, it's
0: a, I'm serious. This is. A, I would definitely use this.
1: Okay, so the next one is called uh,
0: Day Shift. Day Shift.
1: Give Day Shift a we smell. We got a little here. smell of coffee
0: and donuts, boys.
1: Probably. We'll see.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. This is a very uh day shifty. <laughs> <laughs> it it feels it smells like you <laughs> <laughs> Smell a boy. Where it's is Effervescent? It's what? Effervescent. Effervescent. Yeah, it's very cl- it's a, it's a very light uh fragrant that is very like you walk into a fresh um, room that's very clean and sanitary, and it's got a light, fresh. Almost, I want. I don't want to say springish type of smell, but it's very, very. Uh, and I don't like to use the word "very" because that's just sometimes very, very overused. You've but, used it about forty-eight times, <laughs> but it's it's very. <laughs> Man, it's, it's beautiful smelling. You like it? It's, yeah, I would use this also. Um, I would slowly uh, apply this to my skin, move it in a back and forth motion <laughs> until think, my body was... I think Vinny likes DRT soap. Glistening. Yeah, I, I think this is great. Okay. I'm going to put these right up front so people can see the So phone.
1: the last product uh, that they
0: sent me is... Uh, it's the opposite of what I was thinking initially.
1: It, it's called Tactical, and we're going to open this up here. Tactical? Tactical. Vinny, how many times have you worn a vest in the summer?
0: Oh, I wear a vest all the time. I wear an external vest carrier.
1: Okay, how does your vest carrier smell?
0: Oh, like a rancid DRT. <laughs> it does. It's it. It smells terrible. Like especially on a hot day, if you don't wash it out at the end right, of the week. Right. That last day of our four day, work, mm-hmm. my four day work week, mm-hmm. it's pretty bad.
1: So uh, DRT Soap has come up with this uh, tactical uh, odor eliminating spray. And this is apparently um, good for spraying the inside of your vest. Oh, really? Just to freshen it up. It says it's tea tree and peppermint. Oh, I love tea tree. I love, I so use tea tree soap Give it a spray, I don't time. know, maybe spray on your hand or on, I don't know. Don't spray it on me, Ann. I got to
0: turn it on here, I uh, think. If it doesn't
1: smell good, I don't want it on me and I won't know and people just think I stink and I'm weird. All right. Uh, you want to tell me, oh, wait, had a little safety on it. It's got a safety. We don't want any accidental discharges here
0: okay there we go all right all right here's the test now oh yeah it's got like a tea tree oil smell yeah it's oh i love this oh man i might have to get some of this i might have to take this bottle (laughs) (laughs) i love this smell it smells like very uh also very clean but very minty um I love mint, by the way. I oh, this is this is my favorite. I don't know. I think the I think I got two favorites here. It's as a tie between the homemade grime fighting soap, the day shift, and uh, this. Really? Yeah, it's very light, um, but it I can understand why this would be a good use to spray down on your vest to give it a better odor.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, DRT Soap is a law enforcement owned company out of Ventura County, California. Um, they were kind enough to send me. Uh, A couple of these products, which I'm eager to use. I won't be able to know what I smell like, but hopefully uh, my wife could tell me what I smell like.
0: Let me reach out to some of my people here real quick, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. DRT soap. Oh, my God. Mira, pusa el Tactical... (laughs) <laughs> ¿Y el cuerpo Ahí mero, el day shift Aquí mero, tenemos el DRT Soap Jabón. Jabón con cleaning power <laughs> wow yeah that was phenomenal you don't smell that? I, I can't. oh wait <laughs> I can't smell anything it's great this is awesome
1: all I smell is
0: gracias a a este lugar sponsored by DRT Soap
1: I can't smell anything. Oh, man. You know how frustrating it is to review a soap and not be able to smell the soap?
0: (laughs) Oh, dude, I had a great comeback. I just, I'm not going to say it, though. That's probably a good idea. Yes. Probably a good idea.
1: Uh, DRT, thanks, guys, for that. That's awesome. Thank Um, you, DRT. I
0: I look forward to using
1: it, uh, and I'm going to get that up on my Instagram as well. Uh, Maybe we can get my man Vinny here some soaps.
0: instagram i
1: I'm sure that he would be very appreciative of that.
0: Yeah, so would my better half.
1: (laughs) Same. Very same. Um... Anything else? Any last words?
0: No, man. I just want to thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. I appreciate the people that are listening. And uh, please take time to share this uh, with people so that we can get this message out. I think today's message, uh, talking with you, I certainly appreciate it. I think you're doing a great job here on this podcast. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to watching more episodes.
1: I appreciate that, brother. Thank you so much. And again, uh, I'm glad you're out here in San Diego. You're going to be doing a show tomorrow I get to attend. Um, And I'm very thankful that you were able to come here to my humble abode. Yes. To the Wolf Hunter Lounge.
0: The Wolf Hunter Lounge.
1: And record episode four.
0: Episode four, of
1: Priority Traffic.
0: Priority Traffic. I'm Deputy Hookham.
1: Thanks for joining us, guys. Priority Traffic. Priority Traffic.
0: You're listening to Priority Traffic with Deputy Hookham. Deputy Hookem. Priority Traffic. Giving a voice back, 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 back. to the thin blue line. Yeah.